so Stop last week. Stop, stop at verse 16. Yes, <coughs> mm. So, so, how are, how are my Bodhisattvas this week? Flat already. <laughs> Very kind. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> so, one flat, one very kind. And the rest, smiley. <laughs> so, I think last week I shared with you all about um, how when, when, I, when, when I look at this verse here, so um, it is the kind of uh, it's it again starts with our own uh, mindset or attitude. Granted, in our day-to-day, uh, our day-to-day life, uh, we may not immediately have this uh, lofty mindset, yeah? wishing that whoever should encounter us, whether they have so here, sing um, yeah? the translation anger or devotion. So these are two opposing kind of. Uh, uh, attitude. Uh. So when people see us to uh, have faith in us or devotion in us, that means they feel good towards us. Or if they were to feel anger towards us, that means they don't feel good towards us. Yeah. So uh, regardless of whether they feel good or bad towards us, we actually uh, uh, have a sincere wish that Whatever it is, uh, may the encounter actually uh, bring benefit to them, become the causes uh, of benefit for them. So when we think about uh, about this preliminary, uh, preliminarily, yeah, on the surface it seems difficult to understand. Uh, if we take take ourselves playing the other role. 
if we want to encounter someone and uh, we have good will towards that person, we help that person and so on, then hardly speaking, uh, this becomes the causes and conditions for mutual benefit. Uh, that, that is easy to understand. But now it says, even when, if a person were to encounter another person, but uh, what arises is not uh, devotion, but anger. Now the Bodhisattva will try to transform this as well. Mm, uh, this, uh, this is a bit difficult to understand. Um, <coughs> I, have I shared with you all the, the, the story about the Buddha's past life, where he was, um, there are many of his past life where he benefited people. In this particular one, he's a snake. He was a snake. Yeah. Have I shared with you all? I shared many stories about snakes. Huh? So far, I, I don't recall any stories about chicken. Yeah, this year is chicken year of the chicken, but no chicken story. Yeah, a lot of snakes. So in this story, the Buddha said that a long time ago there was uh, a naga, a snake, yeah, a snake. So uh, this snake, he learned the practice of uh, uh, of non-killing, yeah, of tolerance. So then one day. He encountered uh, some ants, and when he says some ants, it's a lot of ants. Yeah, the ants started biting him. So he considered, if I were to roll over, yeah, uh, snakes don't have hands, cannot do this. Uh, uh, if he were to roll over, then the ants will just be smashed or, or squashed, and the ants will just die. So instead of doing that, he decided to. He decided that he will not roll over and squash the ants. Uh, he decided to bear with it. <coughs> uh, so while doing this, um, in the sutta it says that 500 ants came and basically ate them up. Have you all seen 500 ants before? No. I think 20-30 ants we all saw. I've seen a lot of ants before uh, in my room. Uh, now you may think, oh yeah, Sifu, you never clean up your room. Maybe, but there was once I had this uh, old seven-year-old machine, seven-year-old notebook. Uh, so it was still working, but it was relatively slow already. So after much uh, advice and encouragement from friends and devotees, I finally decided to upgrade that old computer. Uh, and then I didn't just throw it away, I put it aside, thinking that hmm, maybe I can put it to some use later. So I left it on the on the chair uh, in my room, and after a few, uh, maybe two months or three months, then I thought, ah, there's this venerable who is in Myanmar, who, who uh, text me and says that uh, her computer broke down and she's helping to do some uh, like translation work or what, need a computer. So 
So I thought, ah, maybe I can rent, uh, give, not rent, uh, give her the whole computer. I mean, it's still working. For translation, you don't need the latest, greatest graphics card or what, you know, you're not playing games. So I thought, ah, okay. So I thought, open up, and then clean up the files. The moment I open up, wow! <laughs> they have built up a whole city. <laughs> yeah, they built up a whole city in the computer. So I quickly took it out and tried to shake it off. Uh, that's when I realized that uh, they have penetrated the whole computer. Yeah, it's a notebook, and so there's a lot of layers. Uh, it was perfect for them. Uh, I tried to remove them as much as safely as I can without hurting them. Um, <clears throat> then some of the IT, uh, it was early in the morning, <laughs> happened to pass by. Then, Sufu, what are you doing? <laughs> I tried to get rid of the ants, tried to remove them without killing them. Then they, they said, ah, Sufu, I leave it to me. So I instructed them very carefully. Do not kill them. Then after that, after maybe one or two hours, I got a text. Super. They have gotten into the hard disk, the whole, uh, like, between the RAM, every, everywhere. Cannot be salvaged anymore <laughs> without killing. Yeah. Uh, most of the time when we think of ants, we, we, do we kill them? Do we all kill ants? Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, sometimes uh. One, two. One, two. Wow. A lot, then you kill. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sometimes when you walk, you will see ants. Uh, uh, last time, I walk. Just walk. Uh. Uh, just step by step. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, stick up the ants. Uh. So that's the start of Bodhicitta. <laughs> in your world, now your world becomes more enriched. You start to see that in your world there are ants. <laughs> yeah, you notice if uh, it, it is true. Before you learn, or before we learn about this aspect of the teachings, uh, some people say that, oh, Sufu, before I learn this, uh, my life is very simple. No? I can do whatever I want. Now after learning, uh, wow, so much things to consider. Yeah, but that's the that's the thing. Yeah. It was always there. The ends are always around. It's just that before that, we are oblivious to their existence. Similar to how some people who are who have more power in society, if they do not um, invoke that compassion and bodhicitta, then to them, many human beings in the society is they are oblivious to them. Yeah. But when you start to do deeper reflection and uh, invoking of bodhicitta, then you are you become more aware of uh, the presence of various sentient beings, regardless of whether they can directly harm or benefit us. Now back to the story of the snake. In the case of the snake, uh, it was not simply that oh the snake nest, then there's some ants passing by, then the end the snake thinking should I clean up my nest or not, but the, the the ants were biting the snake, yeah. But the Bodhisattva uh, basically uh, endured, yeah, endured the the pain of being 
eaten. Yeah. So in the Bodhisattva teachings, it says that, uh, or in that sutta itself, the Buddha then said, thereafter, uh, after that death, because of that practice, he got reborn in the higher realms, in the heavenly realms. Yeah. But that doesn't stop there. After so many lives, uh, who are the ends? The Buddha was the snake. The 500 disciples in front of him were the 500 ends. So what's the link? So in the Bodhisattva path, there's a lot of these references about how the Buddha in past life would let his disciples take advantage of him. So when we think about taking advantage, for example, now <clears throat> if um, if someone asks you for if this is your mark, someone asks for your mark, or maybe didn't ask for your mark, just take it. Um, let's say this is a diamond crusted mark or gold plated mark. Yeah. Uh, cost you a few hundred dollars. Would you give it away if a, a friend like it? Depends. Depends. Depends on what? How close with this with the friend? How close with the friend? Uh, how about the rest? Uh, so, at first place, why would you have a gold plated mm. mark? Huh? <laughs> but let's assume that you have a gold plated mark. Huh? So if the friend asks for it, if it's a friend, or maybe it's not a gold plated mark, yeah, two opium <laughs> uh, something much more, more simple, but close to heart. Yeah. Uh, so for most people, if it's if it's something that um, uh, if if someone is close to you and wants to have it, you may uh, be more likely to give it away. So this is also giving, isn't it, dana? Huh? But our dana is limited in this sense. If it's someone who is close to me, I can give. If the thing is not too close to me, I can give. If, it's, if the thing is too close to me, or that person is not too close to me, I cannot give. Uh, usually. Yeah, usually. Of course, um, many Singaporeans are, many people are very kind. Yeah. We can give to charity as well to people who whom we don't even know. Yeah, you, when you donate to many charities, in most cases you never get to see the direct beneficiary also. Yeah, the recipients in most cases to us uh, we don't interact with them directly. So what's the what's the thing here? In a case where. Uh, you do it willingly, uh, we can understand how that is beneficial. But here in the story where the snake is eaten, um, from the angle of the Bodhisattva, he is actually giving uh, his life. He is doing a very high form of dana. From the angle of the ants, using a conventional view, the ants eat up the snake wall. So if you think about it, if you are the end and you know that it's a bodhisattva, you dare to eat. Huh? <laughs> huh? You dare to eat. 
they wouldn't dare to get, isn't it? And our usual mindset is, wow, you go and eat the Bodhisattva's body, ah. wow, jialat. you know, wow, bad karma. So, but yet, in the teachings, it says that, ah, um, because of this interaction, the Buddha, the Buddha planted, there's this positive link, wholesome link that is being planted between the Buddha when he was a snake and the ants. <coughs> what is happening? Uh, it depends on the mindset of the Bodhisattva. Of course, Bodhisattva will have the right mindset. Uh, but whoever is a snake, if you so-called give unwillingly, yeah, if you are unwilling to give, then it seems like the person owes you. In your mind, you are planting the seed, he owes me. But the moment you, you change it, I give it to you. The person don't owe you anymore. Instead, you are, you are planting merit, and in your mindset, if you further put a posting note, may this become the seed when I or you attain enlightenment to benefit mutually. Then that becomes the conditions in future. Yeah, when you attain enlightenment, aha, the moment the person sees you, ayya, ayya. You tell, of course, if you attain enlightenment, you tell the truth. Huh? But just because it's the truth doesn't mean people will accept it, you know? <laughs> there are not people out there who don't tell the truth, people also accept it. Huh? What's happening? Uh, my late ordination teacher, he says, uh, something to do with your merit. <coughs> if your merit is strong enough, there will be people who will garner around you and they will accept whatever you say. Yeah. Why? Because in so many ways, you have benefited people. Yeah, so that link writers. So my late ordination teacher, he, he describes there are a lot, of, a lot of rulers in the world. For them to become a ruler, you may think, ah, so as this person is a despot, that person is a dictator. But for them to be a despot or a dictator, they must have merits, you know. So in Buddhism, we don't look at merit as purely good or It is, uh, when they did it, it was good. But whether you use it for good or not, that's a different thing. Yeah, that's why in Buddhism, we have this saying, or then you are in trouble. Yeah, then you can be in trouble. But in this case, it is that how do you transform it? Even when someone is quite clearly harming you, yeah, how do you transform that? Yeah, how do you transform that? Uh, have you ever get um, cheated of money by your friends or in business or something? Anyone? Ever? Cheated, not friend really. Oh, cheated, not friend really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is very, very understandable. If you get cheated by someone, hard to still call that person a friend, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, some of us have never gotten cheated by friends before, yeah, <laughs> of money. So, in the, in the past, 
I've encountered before. Yeah, I've encountered before. Uh, back when I was in university, so uh, two friends uh, asked me to do some, uh, in a way, like uh, some some technical project. Uh, it was basically to set up network infrastructure for for a company. The company belongs to one of them. Uh, one of the belongs to the uncle of one of them. So after doing the first project, uh, the two of them suggested that, hey, instead of just cashing out, uh, why don't we put the money together and then we, we can start a small uh, business. I thought, well, I don't really need the money immediately. Yeah, I can always try. You know, that was in the mid, mid-90s, yeah, pre-dot-com era. So it was all bubbling up, you know, the startup mentality. So hey, can try. Uh. So try, try, try. Did did quite a few projects after that. Uh, until we were all all about to graduate already. I still don't see any money, you know. I can't remember how many projects we did. Uh, until the two of them graduated. <laughs> still didn't see any money. Uh, I didn't really chase. Occasionally when I meet them in the hostel, I'll ask them. Yeah, but uh, didn't really like chase them or anything. So went out to work, got into my second job. Then one day, I tell you, uh, <laughs> you know what is Yen You know what? So one day in Marina Square, because my office back then was in Suntech, then sometimes I'll go over. Hey, then walk in. See you more. <laughs> so, oh, I tell you, the awkwardness. For him, not for me. Oh, his awkwardness, you know. The moment he's, he saw me, he's like, Ayah, by the time he saw me, it's too close to Siam, you know. <laughs> but he was not ready to face me. But I still went forward and say hello and stuff. Um, then I asked him, Hey, so how's the day? <laughs> In a way, I'm not a very good cultivator. I still ask, how are? Then he said, uh, then he Come out with all kinds of you know, you know, you know, you <laughs> know. But um, towards the end of my uni days, and that was before I started work, got in touch with some Dharma friends and attended quite a bit of classes. La. Can't say I cultivate, but have a switch in mindset. So I was quite ready that uh, even if you don't think me, it's okay. But I happened to encounter him, then I should still. If you got a chance to play, ma. so I asked him, you know, so then I told him, I said, okay, tell what, do you have $50 on you? I said, yes. And I said, give me the $50 and we we'll write down everything. <laughs> oh, I think he, he looked like he did with you. <laughs> oh, I, you, you, you never know how much joy you can give to a person. <laughs> Uh, so he quickly took out his wallet. Uh, I, I always, when I think about that moment, right, I always remember it was not only fifty dollars inside, uh, but he took out fifty dollars and passed to me. So I took it out. Said, "Okay, with this fifty dollars, we are uh, even. You don't owe me anything anymore." Uh, 
Of course, at that point in time, I didn't study all these Bodhisattva teachings yet. So all I was concerned with was, I didn't want him to owe me anything. Uh, if I had learned this, I would have even planted one more seed. Like after that, I, I did think about it. Uh, that, ah, not just write down, you know, but the rest I gave you. Yeah. Of course, when you say write down, it's basically saying you, you can have the rest. But I would have even in my mind or even tell him, the rest I gave it to you as a gift. Yeah. And in my mind, in this then plant the seeds. You know, in future, if I or you attain enlightenment, it will benefit us then mutually. Uh, of course, the, the amount is more than fifty dollars, but I don't know how much is it actually. I never, I never even asked how much the projects were, so <laughs> I also don't know how much is it. Uh, if it's by now, if I ask myself, if it was uh, hundred thousand, would I be okay? If it's two hundred thousand, how about if it's a million dollars? Would I be, be so okay? Yeah, just give me a fifty dollars. <laughs> I I like to think that I I'm, I'm probably okay. I like to think, uh, uh, yeah, because uh, at the end of the day, we we have learned in the chapter one and two. <coughs> no matter how much you accumulate in this life, at the end, all given away. Now suddenly, now someone goes, if, can you all think of someone who, like, who will be willing to have this transaction with you, where you can plant the seed of, of enlightenment? Not easy to find someone to do this, you know, <coughs> especially in Chinese culture. Yeah, sometimes you don't offer help, the person says, yeah. Even as trivial as you are on the bus, you stand up, yeah, auntie always, ah, never mind, one more stop. <laughs> yeah. Not just auntie, la, I've seen uncle also. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes in classes, I always encourage people. Um, we learn about giving, but we must learn how to take also. So just now, we, we the teaching is about giving, right? But there's the taking part also. Yeah, there's the taking part also. When... Uh, when Bodhisattvas encounter people giving to them, they must be ready to receive also. In the Bodhisattva vows, if if someone offer you something, unless you have really good reasons, you cannot reject it. Yeah, unless you have good reasons, you cannot reject it. Especially if you have um, displeasure towards the person. And then because of this pleasure, you reject it, ah, it's a wrong doing. Uh, but there are exception clauses. If you know that, by rejecting it, you will cause that person to think twice. You will cause that person to reflect. Hey, why is it that this person reject my, my offer, my gift? <coughs> is it because uh, I've done something that is uh, wrong. <coughs> yeah. uh, in such cases, then uh, the Bodhisattva is allowed to reject. So, 
so here, 身体性真心愿必恒成为成伴利重利因愿必恒成为成伴利重利因愿必恒成为成伴利重利因愿必恒成为成伴利重利因愿必恒成为成伴利重利因愿必恒成为成伴利重利因愿必恒成为成伴利
is my bank account balance so low. Oh, wow. Then I started inquiring with the bank, and through the teller machine, they a picture of this person. So do you file charges? Uh, yes, I went to the police. Uh, uh, because the bank said I have to make a police report. Yeah, yeah, because before they can further investigate yes. and also return the money. Yeah, uh, because it's a debt. Yeah. So in that example, compared to yours, uh, it's <coughs> very difficult to walk up to my housemate and say, "Give me fifty dollars and we call it quits," where the amount question was about 10,000 Australian dollars then. That's a lot of money. And it went down to like almost 1,000. It's certainly very difficult to forgive because you know you trusted this person as being a housemate. And this is done on several occasions, stealing and then put back, stealing and put back. Is it my karma that I owe him this money, or if it's not, then I go to the police the right way to do. And of course, he didn't have money to pay back. So uh, we came to settlement that he will, uh, I will take his car oh, okay. for the value. So in that situation, how 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 would you? Deal how would with I deal with it? Yeah. Um, am I going to? Do the way you say, you know, he had taken great advantage of me uh, to the point where, you know, my finances affected. Yeah. So and yet I remain so what is that what is some of you may have thoughts about this. Uh, for again in the past how many years I came to this uh, understanding? We should do what we are able to do. Uh, just like when we go to the gym, you lift the weights that you are able to lift, occasionally stretching a bit more. You don't go in and you see uh, a pro carrying 100 kg and then say, hmm, I should be able to carry 100 kg. Maybe you are working towards 100 kg, but at this point you can only take 40 kg, then you should take 40. And then after conditioning your body, maybe take 45 for a, a few short reps and the rest still do 40. And until your body feels very at ease with 45, then you take, take 45, 50. Yeah. So um, everybody has different um, capabilities. Uh, we do need money to survive uh, in this world, especially as a lay person. There was once, I remember, I think Simi Fasu, in one of his talk, um, I think was in, was it Singapore or probably in Singapore, you know? Was it Simi Fasu? Uh, as I recall, I, I only the, the, the name Simi Fasu came up. Could be another one of the major variables. So, um, he was giving a talk, and then um, a lot of offerings were given, and that offering was meant for his temple or something, yeah, for a center. Then halfway through the talk, 
it was announced that the, the money went missing, that it was stolen. So when he heard that, uh, he, he, he basically made a, I think it was him, and he, uh, he made an announcement that this was taken. Uh, but he made the announcement that this is given to you. Yeah. Maybe unconsciously I could have drawn inspiration from that, that account. Uh. And the purpose is so that the person uh, do not bear the stealing offense. Um, again, it seems like we have to just do that. Uh. But um, I don't say that everybody must do that. Uh, in fact, if I were in your situation, um, I I mean well, uh, depending on whether the ten thousand. If let's say uh, I'm a student, okay? I was a student so on. How come it didn't seem to matter to me? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Now, I must highlight something very crucial. <coughs> Just because it didn't seem to matter to me so much doesn't make me a better Buddhist at all, you know. Because our conditions are all different. Uh, so you sh- we shouldn't feel obliged to like, oh, because the teaching is like <coughs> this, so if I don't do this, then it's like I'm lesser. No. But rather, depending on your circumstances, uh, 10,000 to you at that point in time uh, and, and that's probably what you need uh, uh, for your studies, for your work, for your utilities, whatever but that is rightfully yours you don't say that, oh because of this teaching then there's no mm-hmm. sense of proprietary yeah? uh, our money is everybody's money, anyone can just come <coughs> in and say Ping Tong, can I have $10,000? Yeah, that shouldn't be the case we should do what we can, uh, and even more importantly, we should prevent it from happening. If I were to sort of like dissect it, and we talk about, is it due to karma? Uh, not to rub it in, uh, yes, it's due to karma, but not necessarily past life karma, but your present life karma. Yeah. Uh, Chinese have a saying, ha-ren-zi-xing-bu-ke-yo, um, especially our when we are staying in as housemates with others, uh, good to be cautious about this. Not you in particular, but the trouble with Chinese culture. We are brought up to to have this mindset. Like as though if we are too particular about certain things, especially money then we are seen to be petty. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes people will emotionally blackmail us to coerce us into exposing ourselves or to risk unnecessarily. Yeah. We have the right to protect ourselves, whether it's in terms of our finance or otherwise. Nothing wrong with um, setting boundaries. Yeah. So I would say, um, is it possible that there's some past life karma related? I, uh, again, I will say I don't know. Yeah, I can't see that yet. But definitely, this life karma as in action is definitely involved. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, is it possible that even when you take precautions, your roommate or someone will try to hack into your account? It's possible. But at least if we do our due diligence, then it, it means that the person is up to con us. Uh, then, in most cases, that's the trouble. If you put in um, all the precautions and the person still try to steal, in most cases, we don't feel so bad for taking legal recourse. So sometimes it's this: if we don't, um, we, if we don't put in enough safeguards, and then it happens, then we feel like we feel as though we are part, partly responsible, and that's sometimes the reason why we don't feel good to take actions, or we may have doubts about ourselves. Yeah. I will still say that even if we didn't, if we didn't take um, necessary precautions, we we shouldn't be wrong. Just because we happen to not close our gate or our door doesn't mean that doesn't give people the right to come in and help themselves to our TV, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it does it happen? It does happen. Yeah. So we have this thing also. Uh, Chinese have a lot of saying, thousands of years of history. Yeah. So bottom line, number one, uh, I would still disagree to simply attribute it to past life karma. Yeah, although I'm not denying that is it, it is also possible to have some link. Yeah. And then number two would be that we don't have to, uh, because we try to be a bodhisattva, then subject ourselves to unnecessary harm. No, I don't have to. Okay. Another way to look at this is um, when you do encounter harm, uh, the, the part about devotion is straightforward enough. We don't really have to explain too much about that. But in a case where it is uh, harm that people do to us, or when someone has ill will towards us, anger towards us, how do you transform that? Meaning, you cannot, you are not able to immediately change that. Yeah. Then how do you transform that? And besides transforming on our side, are there ways to transform that interaction as well? Yeah. Such that the person don't give rise to anger in future. Yeah. And of course, as, as some students tell me, it's not so easy. Uh. <laughs> yeah, not so easy. That's why not many Buddhas around. Uh. <laughs> okay, so earlier was just the mental state here is directly about the harm itself. Yeah. This is directly harm. So regardless of how they encounter us, how they interact with us. Yeah. So verbally abuse us. Yeah. Uh, discourage us. Or in various other ways, harm us. So, to humiliate us. So, all this interaction, we have this transformation to such that that interaction becomes the conditions for uh, enlightenment. Yeah, for enlightenment. 
So uh, one other angle is when when they encounter us, what do we do? Uh, in the in the Buddhist teaching and perhaps very predominantly in the Tibetan thought transformation practice uh, is to see those who have um, disparaged us, who have harmed us, who have humiliated us as our teachers of patience. Uh, that's another approach. Uh, that one is not Hen Tolerance is. Uh, wait, are you saying that Hen is tolerant? Patience. Patience. Hen Shen Ah, this is what you mean. So to tolerate their behavior, to go, go, go along with them. Uh, 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 maybe my reaction is very slow. Uh, I think uh, uh, one day, uh, Buddha Ratana also met uh, uh, somebody who went to do it, you know, but <laughs> subsequently they become good friends one fine day. So another approach, uh, uh, maybe one aspect of Hansen Zhongsen is, um, can be seen as, um, Going along with what they do, yeah. Uh, but there is always a limit. Uh, Ernst has another wider application, which is uh, to go along with their wishes. Yeah. Uh, but in the Bodhisattva path, sometimes we misinterpret that to think that, or oh, whatever they want, we just go along with it. Uh, but in the in the sutras, the the teaching on Hansu Zhongsen is not that. It's actually whatever what is the ultimate wish of all sentient beings? To have happiness and to be free from suffering. Yeah. So whatever wishes that the person has that goes in that direction, uh, we support them. Whatever uh, things that they want to they they have interest in, if it doesn't um, it doesn't obstruct them from progress. Uh, you can actually participate with them. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that there's that disclaimer there. Oh, uh. yeah, so uh, the, those who disparage us, those who harm us, those who humiliate us. To consider them as your teacher, and in many ways, um, that cannot be more true. Huh? Um, when we learn in the class about patience, about forbearance, about endurance, 
uh, unless your sifu or your teacher keep on defending you, uh, otherwise it's just a concept. But when you, when you leave the classrooms and then you encounter difficult people, let's start with difficult, difficult people. We don't have to jump straight into someone who uprightly harm you. Even difficult people, sometimes we cannot bear with it already. Uh, but that is the moment for us to learn uh, the quality of bearing with it, uh, endurance. Uh, but um, I must still highlight um, if we take this to the maximum, then it may seem like there's no more right and wrong. Uh. Because oftentimes this seems to encourage us to respond with inaction. Yeah, and in the past few weeks, I've been highlighting no, not always inaction. Sometimes, yes, inaction sometimes is the best thing to do. Yeah, but not always. Yeah. Because otherwise, oh, whatever people, all kind of rubbish people do, and then you just keep quiet. Uh, but if that's the case, then uh, a lot of the teachings given by the Buddha in the 45 years would disappear. Uh, because when the Buddha encountered people, uh, even in a case where uh, there was this Brahmin who came and just verbally abused him and scolded him and accused him of all kinds of things, the Buddha didn't just keep quiet and just part-time, you know. But the Buddha uh, did not respond to his uh, verbal abuse with verbal abuse. Uh, he didn't just uh, He didn't just respond in kind. But in, instead, he responded with calmness. He listened to whatever he has to say until the person has finished whatever he has to say. Then the Buddha asked him, asked him a very simple question. He asked him, when dissidents come to your place and they bring presents, uh, if you don't accept it, who, who does the presents belong to? Then the, the, the Brahmin said, well, to the visitors. If I don't accept it, it still belongs to the visitors. So the Buddha said, Similarly, your all the things you have said, the Tathagata do not accept it. It's still yours. <laughs> you might think the person uh, gets angry and scream at you. Uh, the best way is not to react. Uh, then later, maybe half an hour later, the fellow coming down. Then uh, you go and talk to them nicely. Uh, then you go. Often times, uh, Family business, is it? Yeah. Oh. Then I say, oh, because of all these reasons, I already rectify everything, approach the government authorities to give extension. I say, I'm the one suffering if I don't help you. Oh. I say, I'm the one doing the work my person. You don't have to get so oh. So she hides it. She oh, because my father not around. Oh. <laughs> she realized it. When I retired, she told me to see the other oh. 
think she attended some service course. She got anger management service. So I think she attended because she gave me some upset. So you are quite keen, huh? Encountering people. No, she but she always blame people. Then the last piece of advice I gave her because I saw her full teenager. So I told her I worked there for 18 years. So I told her I think my last piece of advice before I leave here. Can I tell you not to scream at the person? Can you tell the person to go to your room, close the door and tell them? Then she said, oh, you don't know, you're very stupid. I said, I said, you should not scream at people in the hall, in the hall. I said, can you bring the room, talk nicely to them? I see her paralyzed everything. That's the challenge of all bosses. How to scream at people and make them smarter. Not all, but a lot of bosses. Is this what they call uh have you I I've been thinking about this. Have you encountered anyone who suing puts it on? It's just like all parents will always say, Sifu, my kid on Siran puts in. Like I I never encountered I I do I have I ever encountered any parents who tell me, Sifu, my kid on I mean Huh? Have you ever encountered anyone who says, Boss, what's the input to run on your own hand and life? Like, so I sometimes wonder whether this phrase is redundant. Because it seems like by default nobody wants the, the, the hard treatment. So it seems like everybody likes the soft treatment. But I guess maybe it's saying that there are some people who is amendable, uh, even if you are blunt with them. But some people are less commendable. That if you just go head on with them, uh, they may they may not uh, accept it. Huh? So the Buddha said that <coughs> before we speak, we need to consider several factors. Whether what we're going to say is truthful or not. Uh, if it's not truthful, we shouldn't speak. If it's truthful, we shouldn't immediately speak or so. We should consider what is our intent for speaking. Is it out of compassion that we speak? Uh, if, it's out, if it's not out of compassion, we shouldn't speak even if it's the truth. If we speak out of compassion, think with compassion, we should still consider uh, is the person amendable to our whatever we say? Uh, and then that is linked to is this the right time to say even if it's the truth uh, uh, the Buddha um, in the few 
few suttas highlighted this. Uh, so your what you illustrated uh, matches the timing. Uh. So sometimes uh, the best thing is don't say anything yet, uh, because if if the person at that point in time, uh, especially you being in the company for a long time, and you observe this person for a period of time, and maybe you have seen other people show me. Uh, then chong 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 out the door already. <laughs> yeah, and the person still don't change. The key thing is it doesn't help her. Uh, so if you know that, then no point going head on. Yeah, like smashing the egg on the wall. Uh, but you look for the right opportunity, the right timing. Uh, then you you say, then So, so, <coughs> <如人无互依愿为彼引导定作度者法啊这是周后面是法传法与桥梁 So this word, uh, when I saw this, then I thought about my, again, my late ordination teacher this this two words. So this uh hu yi uh, my teacher explained uh, not not in this text but in another text that uh, usually we just look at this if you look at a translation it's just protectorless. Yeah, but in the Chinese word, right, this word is actually uh, referring to father and mother. Mm. So father and mother care for us. So this person, uh, when the person is traveling, out traveling, without the parents to take care of. Uh, it can be taken literally, no, no parents, but it can also be symbolic. That a person has no one to to care like father and mother would care. <coughs> so for such a person, uh, the Bodhisattva is willing to be that person's guide. Yeah? Just as one's parents would always be there to guide us, yeah? uh, always watching out for us. So Yuan Wei be Dao. Uh, this B is re- referring to the Lu Ren. Ding Zuo Du Zhe. So, so here there are three words here. Zhou Chuan Fa. So, different forms of ships. Fa is the Fa is actually the, the rough. Yeah. This word fa. Uh, this is actually the, uh, the rough. Then this is the normal ship. This is like a canoe uh, or, or a small boat. Uh, or to be uh, or to be the bridge for the person.
So right from the from the top, uh, in various ways, the benefits and things here. For those hear the parable uh, of if consider sentient beings to be like travelers traveling from one realm to another realm. Yeah. If you have a choice, uh, if you don't talk about realms, you talk about countries. Uh, do would people knowingly choose to go to a war-torn country? No. You wouldn't, uh, yeah, unless like if you are on a humanitarian trip. Yeah. And so those who are who go on a humanitarian trip are like Buddhist Buddhists. They knowingly put themselves into harm's way, go into a, go to a place not to enjoy themselves but to help people. Whereas for most people, we would, if we have a choice, we would choose to go to places where uh, we can have a good time, uh, uh, we can feast our eyes. <coughs> but in terms of the samsaric uh, existence. Uh, we, we are like floating in the samsaric ocean, just drifting around. Today, drift over here as a human beings. Next life, we don't know where we're going to drift to. Yeah. But when we say we don't know, actually we know. Depending on what is our mental inclination. If you were to just chuck a monthly or annual chart. Yeah? Uh, there's this exercise that I uh, I gave students maybe about 9-10 years ago and over the years I would sometimes share with students. You just chart, do a daily uh, progression chart. Uh, when you do a, an ex uh, a certain, let's say, puja, or meditation, or read the Dharma books, do offering, or help someone, you just put a tick. Then you note down uh, happy to set. Yeah? Happy to set. Yeah. Let's say one is very sad, three is neutral, five is happy. Yeah? Then you put a number there. Uh, you do this every day or every other day. Uh, after after three weeks, five weeks, yeah, up to ten weeks, we should see a certain pattern. You don't, you don't need to go and see some psychologist, and you can do your own. Yeah. In many cases, we may start to see a pattern. Yeah. Maybe on a certain day, you have to run many errands. On a certain day, you have to generate a report. You have to have a conference call. and. For some people, conference call no problem. But for many people that I've met, wow, having conference call was wow, stress. Huh? You must prepare the report, then you must present, then have to answer questions. Uh, so then you find that hey, our our emotional well-being usually matches certain pattern, uh, things that happen in our life. So this is just one aspect: our emotional well-being. Um, after we see a certain, this pattern, then it gives us a, a certain um, a gauge, okay, where we stand. Otherwise, to say, oh, let me cultivate, let me improve my life. 
before you, it's like saying, it's like going to the to the pharmacist and anyhow grab whatever people say is good and just eat it. You must know what you are deficient in. Yeah. Uh, if you are not having D12 deficiency and you keep on eating D12, <laughs> what will happen? It actually becomes a load on your body to process and pass it out. Yeah. So, um, and sometimes maybe you are deficient in something else, but you, you just anyhow take. Then, but you are not covering the deficient part. So having that baseline is important. Now then you know, okay, uh, what are the areas that you need to improve on? And after after a while, you can even progress from just a simple uh, emotional well-being. You can even note down, okay, um, what is your mental states usually inclining towards? Uh, when I first introduced the idea of writing this chart down, uh, some students may like, huh? oh, I still have to write down. Yeah. And after all, in the Buddha's time, there's no mention about them writing down their emotional chart. But for them, they, they, they keep a mental record of, of their own well-being. Yeah. So if you are adept at keeping a mental record, that's fine. But I, let me assure you, most of us, uh, we don't keep good mental records. There was one uh, family that I counseled, the mother. The mother was, the, 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 the son who was uh, asking me to help, was having, a, having trouble with the mother. But the, the mother was, um, was very agitated with the neighbors, and then starting to have conflict with the neighbors. So brought me in, and I went to the house, look at the place, and then the mother told me, so, neighbor, throughout the day, every day, keep knocking on the wall. And then wash the, uh, burn this, burn that, along the corridor, then uh, when cleaning up, you know, sweep all the dirty water to, to, my, to my dog. So they stay in the corner unit, then it's a common corridor, so the, the neighbor just next to them, uh, the mother says that oh, the neighbor keep doing all these things. Um, I'm not the first person that they approach to, uh, to talk to the mother. And I suspect most people when, you encounter, when they encounter such cases, they'll try to persuade the, the elderly auntie that oh, this is just an imagination or something. So, uh, this is why I, I, I gave the auntie a simplified version of that worksheet. I told, I, I draw a calendar for her, and I told her, okay, um, auntie, this is what I need you to do. Uh, I want you to, 我要你计较, 
That means I want you to be calculative with your neighbor. The son was trying to get me to help the mother not to be so calculative. But I go in and tell the mother, let's be calculative. The son of course. I wasn't trying to be Zena, I was literally asking the mother to be calculative. So I told the mother, go back, I want you to take note. Each time when you encounter the neighbor knocking on the door uh, or knocking on the wall, put a note. Just a symbol, plus, minus, or triangle, circle, to indicate the different things they do. Can you do that for me? Okay. <laughs> the first thing that happened before she even do any exercise was a sense of relief. Finally, someone believed her. Uh, I'm not. I wasn't telling a lie. Um, but I told them also, Sifu isn't there. I cannot be there 24 hours with you to to observe. But there's no reason why I should doubt your words. And that's the the trouble with most people when they encounter such um, claims. The first thing most people do is dismiss it. Then what usually happens is that the person will just shut off really. Or the person will try very hard to convince you. And in the in the process sometimes exaggerate. So one week later, she came back, we look at the chart. Before she even showed me, she started to try to, you know, lay lay the lay the ground. And she said, Sufu, uh, this week quite different. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. Don't worry, let's take a look. And I look at it. Only one or two crosses here and there. Not that every day as she had said. But I assured her, I said, don't worry. Sifu, look at this. Sifu is not saying that you are lying. Maybe she has, they have changed. Then the auntie said, yeah, yeah, Sifu. This week, huh? I don't know why, after you talk to me, huh? this week really a lot lesser. <laughs> so, so I told her, I said, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, but at least you, you recognize that they have they have improved from what you have observed last time. Huh? Why don't we observe it for a few more weeks? So I meet them once a week. And sure enough, it never went, went up beyond two or three times a week. Uh, and it's becomes minor, even trivial at some point. Uh, from this and other uh, cases that I attended, uh, it's quite clear that our impression of things uh, is often flawed. Yeah. So the moment we note it down, then you see for sure the actual occurrence. And I applied it to parent-child relationship also. Sometimes the parent is like, oh, my son, or my daughter, okay, you go and look down, how many times? Very rarely does the parents come back, oh, more, more, very rarely. So if we apply it to ourselves, similarly, sometimes we may feel like, oh, my life is always, I encounter unreasonable people. But when you really look down, <laughs> you may find that, okay, maybe on a high note, Three, three times a week. Three times a week is very high, you know, half the time. Yeah. But most people, when you encounter just two person in a week, 
that's enough to give you a perception like, wow, you are surrounded by unreasonable people. So, try this. So, Chu Dao Ji Chen Dao Yu Deng Hua Wei Deng. What is this one? Fu. What's wrong? Ah, Mi. Ah, Mi Chang Yin Zuo Chang. Ah, Fan Xu Hua Chong Zhe. Ah, Fu Fu Chong Zhe. Fu Chong Zhe. 我愿成皮普 So the Kuranapu So here various items The first one is not an item It's a whole island Whoever wants to have an island The Bodhisattva is willing to manifest as an island Without going to the specifics These are different items But they can they can be a, a metaphor for for uh, the samsaric existence. Uh. Uh, if you are if you are now floating in the sea, what do you wish to have? Land. You wish to have land. You wish to find an island. Yeah, to be an island in the in the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, uh, the Buddha said, be an island unto yourself. Yeah, be your own refuge. But here the Bodhisattva is willing to be. A refuge for others. Yeah. An island. We are we are living in an in an island now. Yeah. Singapore is an island, isn't it? Uh, because we are born in this island, do you ever feel like, wow, I feel so safe here? You, you do. Every day you wake up, wow, I feel so safe. I'm so happy to be in Singapore. We don't have. But if you are drifting in the ocean and you come into, wow, finally you see Singapore, wow, so happy, you know. Sorry, sidetrack, yeah. You know that when I was young, and then I, I think it was in geography class, and we learned that the difference between island, hinterland, then continent and so on, right? And I always get, cannot wrap my head around. I'm like, a continent is also an island. Right? <laughs> right? Any body of water surrounded by, uh, a body of land surrounded by water should be an island. So a continent is just a large island. <laughs> so when I was in school, I always had very crazy ideas about things. Uh, teachers have a hard time explaining to me. <laughs> Right, think about it. It's just that we draw artificial debunkation. So we say that, oh, like Malaysia is not an island because Malaysia, the demarcation ends with one part joined to an island, uh, joined to the rest of the continent. Whereas if you consider the whole Asia continent, it's an island. Right? Is Australia an island? It's a continent, but actually it's a, it's a very big island. <laughs> yeah. All lands are <laughs> Okay, but if you have children who are studying geography, please don't teach them that. Uh, they will fail geography. <laughs> so, So those who, uh, this is again, um, you can take it literally, but 
it can be a parable or metaphor uh, of light where in darkness then there's ignorance, there's fear, there's anxiety, worry and stress, there's suffering. Yeah? So those who seek light, that means those who seek wisdom, yeah? the Bodhisattva is willing to be a source of wisdom for them. Then the next one is uh, bed. Uh, what do you do with a bed? Uh, rest. Uh, sleep. Yeah? In order to have rest. So the journey through samsara is very tiring. Yeah, you seek to have rest. Uh, the Buddhisattva is ready to provide the bed yeah, uh, for rest. Uh, those who seek servant uh, need help. The Buddhisattva is willing to manifest as their servant. So the translation is very uh, straightforward. For all who need a servant, may I be their slave. Uh, in modern times, any mention of slavery in, uh, in religious texts is seen as war. This is politically incorrect. Yeah. But if you think about it, um, who can be what we call Assam last time. Yeah, Asam. No yeah, so um, I would I would not say that oh uh, Asian culture we have no slave. Uh, different degrees of slavery. Yeah. If slavery means that you have no freedom, then uh, even until today there's some degree of that as well. Yeah. Um, In some ways, in modern society, not just Singapore, uh, we are not explicitly marked as slaves. So we are free. We are free. Today is Thursday. Tomorrow is Friday. For those who are not going for the urban retreat, do you have to go to work? Uh, you have to go to work. Uh, are you free to not go to work? Yeah, you are free. You have to take leave. So in a year, maybe you have 15 days, maybe you have 20 days, uh, but it's subject to approval. You can take no pay leave, yeah? it's also subject to approval. But if you take too many, then it may affect your employment. Uh, you are free to make that choice to affect your employment, yeah? but because of the way the society is structured, um, most uh, are inhibited indirectly. Yeah, indirectly. So in, in many ways we are free freer today, yeah, but in many ways we are not as free as well. I remember one venerable once uh, noted something that if you look at agrarian cultures, Agrarian society, meaning those society that subsists on agriculture, um, the moment sun sun is down, I'm talking about traditional one. Uh, sun once it is sunset, end of work. Yeah. Uh, then in the morning, before sunrise, they wake up and then they prepare and so on. Then there's the season of of toil, 
there's a season where it is harvest. After harvesting, there's a period where they have to let the land fallow. Yeah? So they don't really do work for a long time. So someone actually, some, I think sociologists or some social scientists, go and do some calculation and then they say, modern society based on industrial revolution is supposed to reduce work. But actually, we work harder than agrarian society. Yeah. Singapore is one of the most hardworking society in the whole world. Yeah. If we are not number one, we are number two or three. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to, I remember last time in uni when I was taking French, then our French teacher told us about how in France, they have strikes every every other week, and they were they were even striking about how they feel that they don't have enough public holidays, and already together with their annual leave or something, they already at that point in time, uh, not now, back then I think like forty days already in the whole year. Yeah, that's the the average. You know? And we were like, oh, what is that to strike if you already have forty days? So, um, by the time I came out to work in the late 90s, we were starting to switch from six days to six and a half, and then eventually five day week. Now, if you go to a company and the company says six day week, people like, say, hello. You know, but 15, 20 years ago, five day week is usually limited to some MNCs. Yeah? Uh, by and large, most companies will insist no, we have so much work to do, you must. Yeah, but I don't know how true this is. Uh, but based on my limited exposure to the industry, I do find that I must say in Hawking, why not I need to come so I mean, I personally find that is there really so much things to do? You know? So true. Huh? The world has changed. The world has changed. Uh. Companies <laughs> are becoming leader. Leader. So really. Myself, myself, I wear three hats. Uh -huh. My colleagues also two hats. Uh -huh. Companies are changing the matrix structure. Multitasking. So I, I left the industry at the right time. Microsoft Office, you know, you have to. Like Microsoft Excel, you have so much data to share analyze uh, more than before, you know, the day you just calculate. We take, we take full credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the work dynamics have really changed and everyone is really, uh, really? Yeah, expected to do a lot more and government is saying the productivity is <laughs> still low. Uh, I'm going to join you already. <laughs> There was once I counseled one, I, I, I counseled some working professionals about work here and there as well. There was, this, there was one uh, student whom I counseled last time about work, and time and again, in this work, in this company, will tell me, ah, you know, got this problem. 
in other company got this problem. And the underlying thing is that it seems like there's a lot of a lot of um, chatter going on. <coughs> Meaning that uh, when she go to work and then uh, because of what some colleagues say, this colleague say this, and she say that, and you know, you know, a lot of this kind of A say this, B say that, then C, then the boss. So, so when I hear this, one day I ask her, I say, why do you have so much time to talk, talk so much things that is not not directly related to work? Yeah, so I'm like, is is this the normal? Do people really spend time? I think people are more complex now. Huh. Yeah, and I, I think also in Singapore the dynamics are different is regional. There's a lot of, if you are working for MNC, there's a lot of regional work. Mm. So if you're in that position, that you're expected to fly quite a number of countries within a region and then to the head yes. office and all yes. that. And because of time difference, we have conference call again mm. at night. Plus the chapter that's going on. Yes. Um, and also people are getting more complex. The, the desire is more complex. The competition is more complex. Yes. So it really makes the whole workforce very tiring and complicated. Um, should introduce Buddhism into corporate man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should. Huh? Yeah, I've been sharing. I don't know whether I shared with you before. But I've been sharing with some students. You should go for the four-day work week. Oh. <laughs> and you know, oh. yeah, because. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 so in the early early two thousand, <laughs> in the early two thousand, there was a, uh, uh, I mean, two thousand, the economy didn't really bounce totally yet. So, plus the seasonal dips, uh, so um, in the company, we were, we were exploring different approaches. So one of the approaches was, how about if corporate were to reduce our work days, so we work four days a week, and we take a 20% pay cut. And when we thought about it, we were like, yeah, we don't mind, you know. Yeah, just cut our pay by 20% when we do four day work week. Um, the one, uh, uh, we we want you know what we want we want uh, four day work week and increase twenty percent. <laughs> That's better, right? No, I'm not so confident. Not so confident. That's just as per normal. Just as per normal. Yeah. So, actually, if you have a seven percent increment every year, uh, I think after is it ten years? After ten years, you have fifty percent more pay. I think there's a seven seven percent rule, right? The compounding. Compounding, yeah. So it, actually, our pay do increase gradually. No, uh, bo bo increase, yeah. Bo increase. It's quite bad. My company has not given pay rise for the last five years, right? Even if there was, I think it was only at one. Oh wow! Not even adjusting for inflation. Wow. Not that, not that I anticipate on all, all this to happen and then quickly leave the workforce. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know that. 
in your work itself, help others in your company. Yeah, because if you think about it, almost all companies are providing some services, either directly to the customer or other partners who are your customer. So you can look at it as, oh, how much can I earn from them? Or you can look at it as, and it's not just psychoing yourself, huh? because you are actually providing a service. You can choose to say, hey, how can I really bring value to them? Now, when I, when you say this, it sounds like corporate speak. Huh? Yeah. You know, all the corporate slogan coming out. But if you really mean it, I tell you, your work is, is Bodhisattva path also. The trouble is, how do you cross that line? How do you genuinely care for the well-being of your partners, your customers, yeah, upstream, downstream, and so on? Yeah. That's the tough part. That's the tough part. Okay, come back. Uh. So, another question. Uh, yes. uh, the example you strike your 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 feelings about not going back to the workforce, you are happy where you are. Is this uh, an example of renunciation in one's mentioned class? Uh, yes, in a way, yes, it is. Yeah. So, um, <coughs> different people renounce for different reasons. Uh, but it is all an appreciation of the different levels of suffering. There are those who uh, encounter physical pain. There are those who encounter <coughs> mental pain so they renounce <coughs> so uh, I think I shared with some of you before some students ask me hey Sifu why are you talking about what is happening they are curious like so they will think uh, is it because of work got retrenched got fired uh, or not making enough think that you can become a mom I have ever interviewed some candidates and they, they really have this mindset, no? Mm-hmm. They think, oh, I ask them, why do you want to become a monk? Uh, the, the more lofty one will say, oh, I want to liberate some sentient beings. And there was one guy, you know what he told me? He said, oh, uh, I want to earn a lot of money. Uh, huh? <laughs> what, what do you mean? He said, no, no. After I become a monk, then I can get a lot of confirmer. <laughs> so there are some people really with the wrong view. So I outrightly told him, that is a wrong view. If you and if you keep on telling me this, I have to reject you. I will tell you, I, will, uh, I cannot uh, accept uh, or recommend you to any centers to be ordained. Because that's the wrong intent. <coughs> you cannot come in with this wrong intent. So, but from the from the mass media, you know, sometimes in the movies, when this guy got in a lot of trouble, either the girlfriend or wife run away, what this and that, then, oh, ah, son, I'll go to the house, I'll So people have this impression. But I, I tell people, even if someone do this, um, uh, there's a difference between encountering uh, difficulties in life and then finding that it's pointless to pursue this then ordaining versus ordaining to find 
financial wealth. Uh, this is two different things. So in the in the case where the person encounter like difficulties in life and then choose to ordain, I would still say that such a person is worthy of respect. Because if you think about it, in this world, how many people get dumb and then decide not to become a monk or nun? Not many, you know. How many people get retrenched and then decide to become a monk or nun? There are those who continue to work. There are those who decide that, well, since my company, then try to do something, you know, under table, whatever, to make some quick buck before they leave. There are those who sometimes appearing in newspaper, the kind of, uh, uh, like, I think recently there are some other cases, yeah, uh, because all oh, the person that they think loved them turn out to have some other affairs or whatever, then out of rage, out of jealousy, anger, they go and kill the, the person. Uh, and sometimes, I think in the recent case was the mother and the, the, the child. Uh, yeah. And this is this has happened before and in future, unfortunately, if a person uh, do not uh, learn to master their emotions, master them, themselves, conquer themselves, this will happen again. Uh, so in such cases, wouldn't you think that if, instead of killing the Whoever, if the person chooses to say, "Hey, I'm going to become a monk or become a nun," that is more worthy, isn't it? Huh? So, um, yeah. But for my case, uh, at that point in time, work wasn't so so bad. Huh? Yeah. If I had known that it's going to be so bad, maybe I'll have even more. <laughs> can, can I continue another question? Oh, one question you, you, you said. Maybe it, it's uh, with you. Oh, okay. Um, so, you you join the Sangha and then you ordain and then you're teaching us. Uh-huh. Uh, if I were to reflect upon the chart of the, the eight stage of Bodhisattva. I, I, suppose, I suppose you are aiming along those lines. Uh, I'm Your aiming right. But aspiration. Not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile, are you learning more from some some other more senior master? Oh, yes, yes. I continue to to listen to my late teacher's uh, uh, teachings. Yes. Whether you are actually stopping there for teaching us, or oh, no. you yourself continue to to also learn. Definitely, this is the difference between uh, the Buddhist monastics versus the the monastics or the priesthood in other religion. Uh, in particular, there were some uh, Catholic priests or, or nuns who actually asked me this question about. How many years we have to uh, of training we have to go through before we are ordained as a monk? So I told them, mm, typically, sometimes instantly, if you are of age, uh, if not, maybe one or two years of observation, and they're like, ah, so short. 
then they told us, told me about how uh, to go, they have to go through the theology college and then they have to be observed and screened and so on and so forth. It can take between 12 to 18 years yeah, uh, to become a fully ordained priest. Yeah. Uh, then, after that, upon ordination, then the, I'm talking about Catholic Church, huh? then the, the, they will uh, assign or I don't know why it's the formal church term, but they will assign the, the priest to uh, to administer to a certain congregation, a certain church, and then have another senior uh, priest to like uh, mentor him. Then after a certain years, then rotate to another center, a certain years, and so on. Yeah. So the difference is in Buddhism, your training only ends when you attain arahanthood or Buddhahood. Yeah. So ordination for us is the start of your training, not the end of the training. Uh, that's why there's this term, uh, Yeah. So Yoshe means still have learning. Uh, still have learning is not referring to us also. It's referring to those who have reached first stage enlightenment onwards, but before Arahanthood. Those who reach Arahanthood, then Wu Xue, no more learning, yeah, because they have already finished their learning. Then for us, which are we? Uh, if you are, if any of you are in already Sotapanna and above, I'm not talking about you, huh? <laughs> but for the rest of us who are not Sotapanna and above, then it's Fei Yu Xue, Fei Wu Xue. That means you are neither a learner nor non-learner. And my uh, teacher, he highlighted in what way uh, the person who is already enlightened, today he learned, tomorrow he will still learn, next week he will still learn. He, his progression is, is fairly constant. Next life he will continue learning. For us, today I learn, tomorrow maybe, forget is one thing, tomorrow maybe I don't learn. Next week, someone school me, I don't learn. Next week, someone praise me, I don't learn. Someone next week, uh, I don't like my teacher, I don't learn. <laughs> next week, I think my teacher not so smart, I don't learn. Next week, I go go to class and then some somebody uh, take my seat, I don't learn. Then maybe I, I learn constantly this life, but next life, maybe I don't learn. So in this way, we are neither learner nor non-learner. So, Yuan Chen Ru Yi Liu, Miao Ping Ru Yi Bao, Ning Zhou Ji Ling Yao, Ru Yi Su Bao Shu. So here all the Ru Yi. What is Ru Yi? So, in the Chinese culture, the word Rui uh, is so commonplace. Sometimes we don't really think about what it really means. Now, one shi Rui. There's no word one shi Rui here, okay, but I'm just uh, drawing a parallel. So, Chinese here we wish others one shi Rui. Sing yan one shi Rui. So, one shi. 
literally 10,000 things, yeah, 10,000 matters. But here, Chinese culture, the word one means everything. So all matters, Ru Yi, will go according to your wishes. Go according to your mind, your mind's intent. So here, Ru Yi Niu, I wonder whether it's new or Zhu, because in the translation it's Zhu and I'm, when I read this, I'm like, funny, uh, how come come out new? <laughs> yeah, because usually in the Buddhist uh, lineage, there is something called the money. Uh, the money refers to the money zu. Yeah, money zu basically is the the manyuan, wish fulfilling pearl. So I suspect when they were typing it out, then someone did a mistake. From the two because two lamp here. Yeah, so let me type out and show you. Uh, so two lamp here, solar lamp here become new. <laughs> In fact, when you chant, have you have I explained to your own money family home? No. Not in this class. Huh? So the own money family home, the home and the home is the opening and the closing uh, sound. The opening and the closing marker. Then money. Had me home. Yeah. Own money had me. So money is referring to the wish fulfilling pearl, and then had me is the lotus. Uh. Yeah. So uh, the wish fulfilling pearl, and then the lotus represents the Bodhisattva. So when we recite Own money had me home, uh, it's actually to arouse, evoke this. Uh, this aspiration that we want to become like the wish fulfilling pearl. We want to attain enlightenment so that we can become like the wish fulfilling pearl for all sentient beings. But is it to fulfill uh, any wishes? No. Someone texts us, Can I have an uh, iPhone 7? Then, okay, give you iPhone 7. Yeah? Uh, you go to Kwan Sim Pusat. Kwan Sim Pusat, can I have a new condo? My old condo is too small. Okay, your wish is granted. It's like the genie. Uh, or then, wow, yeah, three wishes. No, it's not like that. But it is to fulfill the wishes of something beings. What is the root wish? To, be, to have true happiness and to be free of suffering. Are we able to do that? Maybe not immediately. Yeah. Uh, but to even entertain this thought, if you wake up in the morning and you have this thought, uh, may I be a wish fulfilling pearl 
for all sentient beings. Yeah, then, even when you are when you are going to the car park, taking a cab, going to the train or bus stop, uh, whoever you encounter, uh, you all look at people when you walk. Some people sometimes they just look on the floor. Yeah. Some people, well, when you walk, they don't just walk in the train line. They look here, they look there, they look all over the place. Uh. So one way you can walk is. When you walk, whoever you encounter, uh, then you generate this thought towards this person. Uh, you consider uh, this person has the full faculties of a human being. This person has the Buddha nature. May this person uh, have the conditions to attain enlightenment swiftly. How may I be able to serve as a vessel for this person? Uh, may I benefit this person? Uh, through this encounter. For many people, as we even walk from our office to the MRT station or our home to the MRT station or MRT station back to home, um, I think I shared before about how we tend to look at what is pleasant. Yeah? We look at beautiful things attractive things. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, very readily, we don't have equanimity. So, uh, a very small practice that Sifu do for myself is, when I sometimes take public transport and I encounter different people, uh, I will observe myself. And Occasionally, I will catch myself ah, being drawn in various ways. Then I will uh, apply myself and I will give each person a certain duration of time, as equal as possible. You don't have to take out your phone and then time yourself out. Three seconds. No, 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 would move you forward. To even put in this effort, even if you don't do it 100% equally, to put in this effort, to give each person uh, equal duration of gaze, and then to have this mental uh, talk, yeah, to consider. Uh, I have on various occasions uh, did an introspection because when you consider, hey, why do you pay, give unconsciously or consciously give attention to some individuals more than others? Uh, then after that, okay, give equal. And then I, I look at the individuals, ah, then I see suddenly my world change, you know. Then you see the whole world differently. Then you find that, ah, doesn't mean that the one who is all dolled up, whether man or woman, is is necessarily the happiest. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that uh, the person who is not dolled up don't have the potential for enlightenment. But to consider that each and every one of them have this potential, but they are at different stages of that potential. And when you look at them, 
uh, I don't know whether is it true that Singaporeans are not very happy, but oftentimes when I take the train or seldom bus, but usually the train, I look at people walking past, they're either in a hurry yeah, or they don't look very happy. They look tired, yes, fatigued. Huh? They look tired. And I consider, uh, then I uh, generate this wish for them. Yeah? Uh, may this person be well, may this person find happiness, may this person be free of the causes of their stress. Yeah? Uh, you may think, Basufu, you do this so what? You walk past, you, you may not encounter the person, you don't even know who the person is, how, how are you going to help them? But if you were to do this con very frequently, then uh, again, as I've shared with you before, you transform yourself. You become more and more um, familiar with this kind of mental states and mental qualities. Such that when you do encounter someone, when you can have closer interaction, uh, it becomes very natural for you to uh, to connect in that level. Uh, it becomes easier. Yeah? And if you do this over several years, over several lifetimes, then it becomes second nature. The moment you encounter anybody, ah, you are considering, ah, how is this person? Then you, then you can see the suffering. Then compassion quite naturally arises. That's how the Bodhisattvas can uh, look upon all sentient beings uh, and actually have this wish. You and Chen, Rui, Chu. I'll go and double check again whether it's Rui, Niu, or Rui, Chu. Uh, yeah, but very likely it's Rui, Chu. Miao, Ping, Rui, Bao. So there's this, this vase or this vessel that. Uh, that can that con contains all kinds of treasures. Mingzhou Ji Lin Yao. So even mantra or uh, so I like the translation here. Instead of mantra they use the word word of power. Mingzhou Ji Lin Yao. Rui Chu Bao Shu. I don't know whether I should share this with you all. Have you cast a spell before? <laughs> In Buddhism, have you heard of people casting spell? No. No. Huh? So. What you call? Actually, in uh, in Mahana Buddhism, uh, when we chant mantra. It is the closest of what we call casting a spell. Usually, when you think of casting spell, you think about Harry Potter. Then you take a stick, yeah, you take a stick, then, uh, or then something magical happens. Uh, so I've mentioned to you all about how ants crawl over the place. So that day, a few times I saw that the ants actually get into the kettle. So before I boil, I would usually check. Then usually it doesn't have anything. But occasionally I see something just put past. Oh, then I oh, look here, there. And occasionally I see the end. But recently, because I don't, I'm, I'm not very diligent with drinking water. 
So by the time I encounter them, already half gone or all gone. So that day I was so like, ah. <laughs> then in a way I cast a spell. <laughs> you know how I cast a spell? So imagine if this is a capital. <laughs> this has no scriptural basis, I must say. But then I draw inspiration from the teaching. So I look at the kettle and I just thought, then I just draw a mark around it. And I thought to myself, may, may no ends come around this place such that they get burnt by it or drowned in it. <laughs> and I did this a few times. If you look at the movies or you know the whole idea of spell is you do this, man. Then, I, then suddenly I was filled with a lot of joy. I thought, ah, if there's any Buddhist spell, then Buddhist spells, if at all, uh, or mantras, if you will, is rooted in uh, compassion. You understand? Because typically when you hear of, uh, whether in movies or you hear people say that, oh, the house haunted, then you, you think of either get, get some priest or saikong or monk or go there, chi chu yao, right? But when you look at all the house blessing chants, it's all wishing for whoever is staying there to be well, you know, not to go and destroy or be. No, you know, yeah. And um, in the Buddhist tradition, we have something called demarcating a boundary. Yeah. And even the demarcation is rooted in cultivation. Yeah. It's not to go and harm beings. Yeah. So you can go and try. Yeah. Cast a Buddhist spell. <laughs> because in fact, when you chant mantra, uh, it has a similar effect. The trouble is that most of the time when we chant Om Mani Padme Hum, we may or may not know the significance of it. So when we are chanting, the, the closest is we have devotion towards our Kitesh Shalom Bodhisattva. Now our mind may not be connecting to our Kitesh Shalom Bodhisattva. Yeah, so instead, uh, you can still chant, but then if before you chant, you generate a lot of very pure, wholesome, kind thoughts yeah, towards sentient beings, or just one or a group of sentient beings. Yeah, then you really put in effort to chant. I'm going to try. And well, suddenly next week, in the news, appear a lot of things. Huh? <laughs> I mean, we'll put our together. <laughs>